Welcome to the UK Flooring Podcast. This podcast is for contractors, retailers, manufacturers, and everyone that's connected to the flooring industry. This episode is in partnership with Roomvo. Roomvo is the ultimate room visualization tool that's recommended by many manufacturers and retailers across the globe. To find out more information, visit get.roomvo.com. mechanically inclined by any shape or form but I'm willing, I'm one of them guys who's just willing to have a go typical Gerard actually Tom that's that's yeah. the <laughs> is flooring still a luxury purchase and in some places it actually will be yes it's mandatory but in, in some you know some areas and, and, and people who don't have as much disposable income they might just say well I'll just wait another year and I'll make that too and I think we'll have to be realistic on that point so Welcome to the podcast, Craig. Uh, for the uninitiated, who is Craig James? Well, in summary, the, the easy answer is uh, I'm Craig James. I'm the national sales manager for EGA, um, for the flooring division for the UK and Ireland. How long have you been there? I uh, should know this question, but uh, well, I actually do know. I do know the answer to this, but I'm going to let you answer it. I thought it would have been in your, in your diary there, Tom. I thought that would have been a you know a monumental date for yourself when I was door knocking with yourself. Uh, but no, 10 years actually, this uh, last month, 10 years last month. Right, so where did you start with Egg? Well, I know you were door knocking, but you weren't just a double glazing salesman knock, knocking on doors trying to flog some flooring. Um, what, how did it start with your journey with Egger? Yeah, so I mean, with myself, I, I came into, you know, Egger was actually the only job I applied for. Um, from a, a previous stint, um, self-employment for a couple of years. And it was somewhere as a business where I'd actually known um, because of like working merchant trade prior. And um, when I applied for the job, it was for an account manager. And um, on the flowing division, we'll have quite large areas. And this one was for the Northern Territory. So it was basically uh, an area which was Birmingham North, everything from Birmingham as far north as you can go. Um, and uh, the north. Yeah, exactly. So I'm already in the north, but even further north, if, if the business was there, it would even mean Inverness or whatever the case may be. And uh, yeah, the, the, the job was a northern uh, territory manager, um, predominantly looking after distribution. So that would be uh, the, the kind of the focus area at the time. And uh, yeah, like I say, that was in late 2012. Okay. And products wise, what products are available at the well did you start with and then what's kind of new if that makes sense explain yeah, if someone that doesn't know who Edgar are what what do you do well i mean i mean firstly there's a there's a wider question i guess around Edgar, which i think there's an industry question about flooring so we all some people will know who Edgar is in the flooring trade some people won't but um we're also a, a wider uh business than just flooring uh flooring as it happens is actually um one of the smaller divisions of the of the overall Lego business. Um, so we also produce, uh, you know, chipboard, MDF, uh, furniture product, uh, worktops. Um, as a business, you know, we also have some side businesses which support uh, the main company, such as a, a timber timber recycling uh, division uh, called uh, you know called called Timber Park. And then, of course, we also have like some ties in with, with a forestry division as well. So quite a wide business, which kind of feeds itself. It's this kind of full uh, circle to, you know, source timber, produce, and then, of course, uh, recycle where, where possible. 
but then just closer to home for flooring, which is where, where I'm currently sitting. Um, we're a flooring producer, um, probably one of the, uh, the, the major importers in the UK. Um, and, uh, yeah, in majority we produce laminate flooring, which would be 90% of what we do as a, as a commodity core product within that, uh, we'll have different price points and different technologies, such as water resistant product, which a lot of the manufacturers are doing as well. Um, and then, um, we also have some, um, she would say mixed modular floors, which are application led. One in particular is a, is a product category called design flooring. And it's a, a wood-based, um, I would say it's a wood-based LVT solution to put it in a very simple way. You've got a factory up here in the Northeast, which I've had the privilege of going around. That doesn't make the flooring, but it's certainly an interesting place to go and have a look. How many other factories around the globe now? Yeah, so we've got, I mean, there's a lot of factories around the globe. We've actually got uh, 20, I think, on their last count, 20 production facilities. The most recent one um, was our addition in North America, which is the Lexington plant. Um, so predominantly we've been based in, um, of course, in Europe. And then we've been moving further afield into North America. Um, we made an acquisition um, a number of years ago in uh, South America as well. Um, but the Lexington plant is the, is the newest one. Um, we also have uh, quite a new um, plant in in Poland as well, which is a, a, a predominantly around worktops actually. So it's you know, it's one of the most advanced, uh, if not the most advanced worktop plant in in Europe. Um, and yeah, the plant here in, in in Hexham, as you rightly said, it doesn't produce uh, it doesn't produce flooring. It's mostly MFC, uh, MDF, and, and structural flooring, such as chipboard and peel clean, which is a, a categories more synonymous with the the building products industry. And uh, where we produce our flooring is a lovely place in northern Germany. Very nice town. Very cold. No good if you've got a haircut like mine, Tom, of course. Uh, <laughs> but that's based in a, in a town called Wismar, which is on the uh, on the Baltic. And if you're from the northeast, it's exactly that. It's Baltic. It's very cool <laughs> when you go there. That's the, the, the predominant home for, uh, for, for flooring production. Class. Okay. And laminate flooring has been around tens. 20, many, many years. And what changes have you seen while being at Egger? What makes the products a little bit different or just different to the usual laminate flooring you see out in the market? What makes Egger different? Well, I mean, firstly, I think the, the, to address the question on the change and that, I think, you know, coming into Egger, an actual flooring guy, you know, it should be known as well that prior to that, I was aware of flooring and I was, and I was kind of at sold it in part, but I wasn't uh, solely a flooring guy. And uh, so coming in, uh, you know, with uh, a blank canvas or, you know, green as grass, whichever you want, you want to describe, yeah. uh, I come in as a, as a guy who knew flooring but didn't have a, a deep knowledge of the flooring industry. And what I've probably seen is an outside perception was, I think laminate flooring was definitely seen as a category, which is um, purely a DIY product. It was very cost effective. You know, you think back to the kind of the 90s and early 2000s where people were just selling three-strip beach and it was kind of like a really kind of poor uh, kind of DIY category, but actually when you come into it and the development over the last uh, 10 years or so as well is, is very different. Um, not just Egger, but of course, even with competitors, we're looking and selling and producing more high value product than ever before. So the category certainly changed. We see people like Egger and, and like I say, some of that, um, competitors making a really good go at even creating brands within the actual sector as well. And also the technology has advanced completely as well. You know, there's there's this product out there which is very you know authentic looking. If you're looking at a, a timber decor uh, or even something which comparative to tile can look very authentic. Um, and you know, as as we see the category developing, we're also seeing 
uh, trends as we move towards uh, flooring matching with furniture products, for example, which is a producer who makes you know furniture and worktops. We obviously we're we're looking to you know expand on that all the time, and it's yeah it's it's very different to what I first thought it was when I when I come into the trade. We really thought it was kind of like I say a commodity product, um, but there is you know other areas where you know it, it kind of high ticket items and the development of the category has has been quite significant over the last decade. Class, um, and how do clients buy from you? Because it's not the conventional. You've got pallets and pallets of it sat behind you in a warehouse, and you ship it round. For the again for the uninitiated, how how does Egger supply floor into the UK market? How does John John the fitter or Tony the floor shop owner buy the flooring? Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom the floor shop owner. Oh yeah, we're going to gonna come on to that. So don't worry about yeah. that. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I haven't yeah, come yeah. on about that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny as well because you know, uh, ten years ago, where route was completely distribution. That was pretty much where we were. We did have some some direct customers as well, but in the majority, we were an importer because the flooring is produced in Germany, and um, we're an importer who who predominantly sell through the distribution channel. Um, but that's also developed a little bit as well um, because some customers have changed as well. You know, we're, uh, some of our direct customers as well have also became um, better known. Online, for example, the e-commerce side has obviously blown up in the last ten years, and and I think the UK has probably got one of the most advanced um, flooring e-commerce areas in in Western Europe. So that's become a quite a big part for Rega. Um, we're very much in the distribution basket still with the partners who who we all know, um, and obviously that would be independent retailers or contractors buying through the distribution channel. And then a, a development we've probably seen more recently over the last kind of five years or so is what brand has become available in um, one of the big DIY uh, chains in the UK as well. So we, we, we can sell a product effectively through a number of different channels. Um, and what we try to do to protect that is we offer uh, different branding um, opportunities within, depending on the sector that we deal with. So within with direct customers, we have a, a brand area called Egger Home, which is basically um, for a, a one-step uh, route to market, if you will. Customer buys from Egger and then resells directly himself. And then we have our um, Ega Pro um, assortment, which is basically um, buying from Ega to then go into the distribution channel and then be resold through the network as well. So it just means that we're trying to, um, I guess, protect each other is, is the best way to do it. So then, you know, people can have a, an Ega offer, but it means that depending on, on what the offer is, it's, it stays competitive within the market based on, you know, how well somebody wants to buy. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I think we'll go back onto the subject about Tom, the the floor owner, um, because obviously we we have a history of. Uh, uh, I used to buy a lot of Ego products, and that's you know one of the reasons why why you're on the show. We've had a good working relationship. Obviously, I don't do that anymore, but um, I wanted your view for people that let's say class themselves as not a salesperson. Not not that I'm classing you as that. I'm because you are very much in sales. I'm very much in sales. And why do you think it's in follow, um, important to follow up and be consistent and then explain to the listeners why I'm asking that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, uh, yeah, very <laughs> interesting question, Tom. Yeah, um, yeah. I think from, from the personal side, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in Ega for 10 years, but I mean, I've always been in a sales role. It's something which um, I've always wanted to do. And I, and I do believe that, you know, if you strip it all back and you, you look at the basic principle of sales. Um, it's about people at the end of the day. And, you know, 
how you execute that is dependent on the salesperson. You get very different type of salesperson uh, people, but the you know there's no right and wrong way to do it. I think I think fundamentally it comes to you know building relationships, whether that be this new way of doing it on things like WebEx or old uh, way, which is you know door wrapping or, or picking the telephone up. And, I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer of that. And I guess my tactic hasn't really changed so much during my whole career from being a very young sales guy working in a timber merchant at 17 to, to where I sit today on your podcast. Um, and I funny you should ask because uh, when I came into Ega, as you rightly know, Tom, as you last the question, um, I think you politely, I'll say politely, will be diplomatic for the sake of, uh, of your listeners. Um, you diplomatically didn't want to see us on the first time I come to your shop. I didn't think you had any time. Um, so no, we didn't to- want laminates. We said, well, sorry, we don't, we don't do laminates. Don't do that laminate stuff. That, that, yeah, we don't do it. You don't do laminate, and uh, you didn't want to see me. And I think you were sitting there up in your, I think you're in the office on the top floor, so you could look down and just say, ah, this, those guys coming. We don't do laminate, but, uh, you know, it was, it was polite. I have had worse, uh, you know, worse, uh, should we say, replies of people knocking on the door. But yeah, I think it was the third time of asking Tom when I came to your shop that I eventually got a, a cup of tea off you. I still don't get a yeah. ball. No, uh, no. Um, yeah, I think the dog used to eat them. But, uh, but no, I came, I came a few times, I think. From our side, um, from a personal aspect, but also from a, a case, a business uh, strategy of, of what we wanted to, to kind of do and who we wanted to speak to, you know, we wanted to speak to uh, stores and retailers and and contractors alike who would actually, um, you know, believe in the product, have you know the time with which to actually you know learn about it, but also you know approach to, to kind of creating partnerships and and, and you know people who buy for directly is to create um, exactly that, partnerships, not yeah. transactional approach. We want people who are going to, you know, buy into the actual um, offer. And I'm not talking about from a financial aspect. I'm talking about from a, you know, just a commercial or from a, you know, seeing the value in what we do. And that's that comes from myself. It goes right down to the sales team. And like I said, back to 10 years ago when I was knocking on your door, it wasn't just because I thought, oh, Tom's got a lovely shop here and we're going to push it. <laughs> I kind of thought opportunity here and we could add value to your business and likewise you can do the same to ours as well so that's pretty much how that's uh how that come about but yes three times yes three times i knocked on your door and uh Third time successful yeah and it was great you know, brilliant you delivered everything you said so yeah um i won't blow smoke but yeah we had a great once this when the shop was there um we really enjoyed using the egg products and uh and i think that's uh it was fun i can't even remember how it came about but i'm sure we went to we won't mention names, but to another supplier of a certain laminate flooring. And we basically said, look, we, we want in a partnership, exactly as you said. And they weren't prepared to do a partnership. They were just like, well, you kind of buy stands and that's it. And you said, no, 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 we don't do that, man. It's, we do partnerships. We, you know, we're here for the long run. And that's what we did. So yeah, no, it's a great story. And uh, never, never always take the first no is the, uh, is the lesson. It's no, no, without a doubt. And it's funny actually because uh, I've got a little story which is from a pre kind of, it's, you know, it's pre flooring trade for myself, but uh, quite interesting. I've got a little story on that as, as well. Uh, it was a number of years ago when I was quite a young rep. And at the time, um, I used to work for a very old uh, timber company. That was my first sales gig. And what happened is um, it was, I was very young. I think I was like 17 or 18. I didn't even look like I was um, legal enough to drive a car because I was very young, looking at 17. Not like these days, Tom, where. Did you have hair? I had hair. I didn't have a beard. Probably about a daughter and a probably about three stone. I thought, well, hey, I say a three stone. We'll probably know it's a little bit more than that. Maybe it's a little lighter, actually. So it was a, it was a different time altogether. 
But imagine this kind of man-child driving the car. And at the time, I was working for a merchant which was based in South Tyneside, but they were quite synonymous with um, high-level joinery product that could sell really nice joinery-grade timber. That's where I used to work. And I was given a kind of entry-level role as a trainee sales rep. And I basically had to go and see some customers in Cumbria. And at the time, this was at the peak of the foot and mouth pandemic. So I was going through every single side road, tractors for days, you know, the unfortunate sight of seeing the livestock being burnt in the fields. It was a really, really bad time. And um, going back to my earlier point, this guy I knocked on, really old school joinery shop, and he basically said, um, uh, he basically I knocked on the door and he had a problem with the previous, with the employment I used to work at at the time. Knocked on the door and he told us where to go. Not as polite as you did, Tom. He pretty much told us before. And it was the fourth time of knocking when I knocked on his door again as a young lad who just thought, well, I don't care. I'm going to keep going because I've been asked to do this. And, you know, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And the fourth time he answered, uh, he answered the call, he opened the door and he went, I thought I told you to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he did and he went, he says, well, you better come in then. And that was the the very first like kind of example I get, I got a kind of a feel that I can remember of being, um, just keep kind of going and stuff, I guess, and just, you know, keep knocking on the door and then people don't want anything to do with you as long as you're polite and, you know, you're doing it the right kind of possible way. You'll either get nothing or you'll, which is what you've always had, or you'll potentially get uh, the chance to sit down with somebody and, and, and talk a little okay. bit. Okay, I've always found focus on the relationship or focus on the follow-up don't worry yeah. about anything else. That's that's what's always won me. No. What needed to. Yeah. So the flooring industry as a whole, hmm. what do you feel is the biggest challenge at the moment, excluding supply issues? Uh, well, supply issues. I'm going to say that we are kind of safeguarded a little bit from that compared to some of that kind of floor coverings. I think everyone has their own problems, but uh, looking just purely from a, uh, you know, as a laminate flooring producer, we'll put it that way, um, we are quite free from supply issues to a degree. It, it, it does come down to a question of cost in some areas, which I think is still also, you know, kind of rumbling on. We've seen all the, the challenges of last year or 18 months, you know, we're talking about in, in some cases, you know, timber supply, but in majority chemical costs to logistics. We, we all know, we'll not upset anyone listening to the podcast. Uh, some old, old wounds from the summer, especially, but generally speaking, it was frantic. I think we'll have to agree that uh, that's been the, the biggest challenge as well. And, you know, a lot of the kind of chemicals that we use in production um, are also found in, in, you know, Eastern Europe or in some cases kind of, you know, Russia and such and that. And, in it all, and because of the, the current situation, that we'll find ourselves in um, that does have an effect on uh, availability of, of, you know, of, um, of these kind of chemicals and such as well. And uh, I think that's a big challenge is, is at the moment. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I still believe that from a, a kind of a commercial aspect, I do believe that uh, there's also some, um, the market's finding itself a little bit as well. I think in the last kind of year, we've seen such uh, high price uh, pressures. I think the, the, the category itself of, of wood flooring is also settling itself in the market as well because you know Mrs. Smith when it comes down to it the end user they have an expectation of price and if that's you know changed significantly over the last kind of 18 months you know um, there needs to be some kind of settled period where people understand what the the current prices is for a 7 mil or an 8 mil or a 12 mil or so on and so forth it's uh, it's it's just that settling in period as well and uh, it's quite uncertain but uh, you know from a, a producer's point of view we're quite optimistic we'll have 
opportunity. We've got quite a wide uh, route to market in the in the UK and Ireland, which I mentioned earlier, not just distribution, but specification and and you know kind of other areas. But I think it's it's um you know it's going to be a challenging kind of six to twelve months for the for the for next year. I do believe that. Yeah, and the design flaw. What what's the difference between that and LVT dryback? You know, apart from the well, uh, well, you can explain. Is it, is it stick down or what? What's the differences to the people that don't know what design flaws? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, as, as a producer, um, you know, the the kind of the company ethos of Lego is more from wood. So the idea is not to suddenly start producing things out of uh, you know plastic based product or or anything which doesn't have any strong environmental credentials. That's the general idea why we started to make the product in the first place. And I think you know the idea behind it was to. Um, to create an application-led product which would demonstrate value in the market, but also offer some really good USPs which aren't necessarily found in, in some kind of other products as well. And in principle, um, it's um, as opposed to uh, laminate flooring, which the, the, the kind of the core board is HDF, in principle, this is a, a wood fiber uh, core board. So it basically that across the length of the plank, it would have a little bit of flex in it and it'll it'll be more similar to like a, an LVT, shall we say, than a, than a laminate would be. So it's somewhere in the middle. Um, and it has some really nice kind of um, USPs. It's, it's um, you know, the standard stuff is the fact, you know, it's it's anti-slip, it's it's anti-static, it's, it's got no plastic and plaster sizes in, so it's a, an environmentally friendly, it's PEFC certified. And some nice additions that we do have in there, it's a commercial product with a built-in cork underlay as well. So it has this like environmental message and, you know, we know the story around cork as well. Um, it's 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 basically harvested. It's it's not felled. It's, it falls from the tree, so there's there's a warmth to it as well. But it's also, like I say, very strong from an environmental aspect as well. And uh, what, at the moment, we're seeing this um, being really strong in the specification category. People are really loving it in that area because we can present it and uh, you know get some real dialogue with specifiers. And, and we're finding this um, landing in quite large commercial projects. And it's something that we we'll feel will will as it becomes more. Um, I guess well known in the trade will then look to you know launch it in, in a big way through the distribution channel in the in the coming you know twelve to eighteen months. And with it, it being is, cork on the back, is it floated, stuck down? What's the recommended installation on it? I mean, because one you know ease of use and you know um, the fitters might say something different because they may want to do the you know two days worth of installation. But generally speaking, um, we would say this can just be uh, it can just be clicked together and it can just be a floating floor application, so it's less you know, less preparation time would be uh, the preferred method. Yeah, class. Um, and at the moment with the current Egger range, what is your favourite product and what have you got fitted at home? Well, there's a question for you. Um, so, um, I mean, my favourite product, I don't have it fitted at home actually, but there's a reason for it and I'll tell you the reason why. So, um, Is it the boss? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boss. Oh, no, I think my favourite product... Um, is um it, it's it's something which um it hasn't really it's it's not really a, a big thing in the uk um but my favorite product that we produce is the technology around this cork product that we produce we'll have the um design form which has a cork back on it but we also have um, a side product which is mostly sold in um in like the dac region like in germany and such um and not so big in the uk and it's a cork top layer as well so it's a quieter warmer floor and the idea is that underfoot um it's it's basically uh, a cork um, top layer with a digital print on it, so it looks like a tile or a timber or whatever. And as a as a you know as a product, 
Um, I believe it's a really um, nice product and something which um, will have value. I mean, in the, fundamentally in the UK, I'm, as a laminate guy, um, it's hard for us to admit, but we are a carpet country. I think fundamentally most people have carpet down in the house. And this is something which is a hard flooring offer. It just sits nicely between the two. You know, the benefit of laminate flooring, hard wearing, uh, you know, lasts a long time, you know, good decor choice, so, choices, so on and so forth. The carpets, of course, are quieter and warmer. And this is something, this cork product that we produce sits somewhere quite nicely in the middle. So that's probably my favorite product with regard to innovation and something that we were quite, we're quite proud of. Um, um, but yeah, in my own house, I would have, uh, have Aqua Plus down. It's laminate flooring, uh, but it's, uh, we produce it where it has a lot more glues and resins in, um, and it's a much um, harder product and it's uh, less permeable to water. And uh, we have uh, that within the laminate flooring category. So we call it Aqua Plus. It's a steam cleanable laminate flooring, which of course isn't uh, something you can do with things like LVT. And similarly, to LVT and laminate, this is a category which we feel sits somewhere quite nicely in the middle as well. So that would be me, uh, the one that I have at home. Brilliant, brilliant. And now, as we're coming at the end of the year, and this podcast will be released January, so when you pick, the listeners are listening, it'll be January. What's the game plan for Egger flooring for 2023 and beyond? Uh, I would love a, I'd love an element of calm. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Have a nice calm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Always get me holidays in when I need them. I think that would be a, that would be a good thing. No, I think I think uh, like most people, I think you know we can look at just the trade, but I think we'll have to look at the wider view. I think people have a lot of concerns, Tom. You know, you you know, you and I know different. You know, fundamentally, we're working you know for our respective businesses and, and such. But I think um, what will happen this year isn't just completely linked to the trade. I think we'll have to understand and and, and acknowledge the fact that people have got concerns around you know energy crisis and the cost of living, and I think without putting a dampener on that we'll have to we'll have to associate you know what will happen this year to that kind of cost uh, crisis and you know the reality is if your utility bills have went up hundreds of pounds a year is flooring still a luxury purchase and in some places it actually will be yes it's mandatory but in, in some you know some areas and, and, and people who don't have as much disposable income they might just say well I'll just wait another year and I'll make that too and I think we'll have to be realistic on that point so we have to adjust our um budgets and our expectations accordingly which i think we will do and like i said i think a period of calm not just for trade um but also for things like you know uh, the cost of materials and such where we can actually just concentrate on uh, being proactive as opposed to being reactive to external factors such as you know costs and, and drivers around that we want to really just develop with our partners you know want to really um push some of these uh categories we mentioned earlier into the supply chain and, and, and spend money to market them effectively. And uh, we can only do that with a calm and, uh, you know, like a calm market instead of uh, looking and at. And, and it could be, it could be um, positives for, for Egger where the price of wood could get too much for a percentage of people. So people might go, the original wood clients could decide, I'm not going to say go backwards because that's unfair, but look for other alternatives at a cheaper rate, which is where, you know, the 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 laminate is always not as eager, but the as a product range, the laminate has always been cheaper um than a wood. You know, it's sort of where the laminate finishes, the wood starts. And is it gonna if people are spending 20, 30 percent less, is the market share laminate gonna go up? We don't we don't know, you know. Yeah. 
That's a great point, actually, because um, I'm, I'm fresh on a factory visit in Vintage uh, a number of weeks ago. And part of the innovation that we're talking for some, we'll have some new uh, variants which are going to be available in the new year to drop into into you know Ega branded offer. And uh, one of the things that we looked at is, as you can imagine, when you do a lot of developments on decors as a you know a large scale producer like like Ega is, we tend to try and um, keep the developments in the the medium to higher ticket items because that's you know where you want to do the developments where fresh and you know and and higher ticket items and then the commodity products like seven mil you would think well actually they will maybe have a decor which is a decor paper which might be a couple of years old and and, and it'll sell mostly on price but um, as it happens you know when we've looked at the development of the new SKUs that we're going to be dropping in um from from january we've also done some developments in seven mil as well which is kind of like our lowest price point within collection product um so it's quite unusual that we've done that um but it's it's you know, being with a view of the, the fact that we know that prices are, are going to be a, a big factor in people's choices across the next kind of 12 and, you know, 18 months or even, you know, more so than ever. So we've had to take these considerations into place that, you know, we're not just going to do what we want to do. We'll have to look what's happening in the market as well. And that's something that we'll have, you know, taken on board and, and try to think where's the money going to be spent this year. And, you know, if you have got a little bit less money, you should be able to still have an attractive deco and something which is, you know, on trend and, and so on and so forth. And we'll have tried to do that. Brilliant. So what we're going to do is uh, the quick fire round, which is a more about Craig James than, um, than Egger. So it's always a bit of, bit of fun for the end of the podcast. Um, so I will, let's have a get, get the questions out. So Domino's or five guys and why? Oh, I'm a five guys guy, I think, um, because there's just something good about a dirty burger, isn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, hey, if I'm in my suit and I'm going to see a customer, five guys is probably going to be off the menu. And again, I wouldn't be having a Domino's during the day as well, but I'm a five guys guy. But then, you know, you don't um, get a physique like mine, Tom, by being choice. You know, if someone puts a Domino's in front of us as well, I would still, I would still give up. I've, I've got a, a little bit of a local story I've never shared on the podcast, but this will you'll know exactly where and what I'm referring to. So in the summer, I walked Hadrian's Wall and we set off at the coast on this sort of um, on one side and then walked towards Newcastle and walked through the quayside and then walked through Wall's End, which is a great area of the northeast. Um, and... We we did it in four days, but for from day two, we agreed to go to Five Guys in Newcastle City Centre. So what got me through the Hadrian's Wall 93 miles was Five Guys, Newcastle City Centre. And yeah. um, and we celebrated uh, on the uh, fourth day. So probably. I'm uh, very au pair to the, uh, the one, probably your local Five Guys, the one in the, the city centre. Local red just across the bridge and uh, yeah it's uh, very much so and I presume you know if you've went you know three days walking Hadrian's Wall and you've got a five guys I would imagine all the calorie deficit you've had across them three days you've certainly put back on just with one sitting of a good old five guys because uh, you can go a little bit uh, over the top as well can't you on the calorie intake Oh, with, with the kid behind the counter he even said I think he must have known because we had backpacks and he was like oh I've made too many do you want extra couple of patties and I'm like couple of extra patties yeah, so this ended up about 12 inches high. But anyway, that's that's off subject. But yes, um, that was my chosen. We didn't go to Domino's. We went to Five Guys in Newcastle. So um, sunbathing or skiing? Oh, God. Um, 
you're going to disagree with this, Tom, but I'm going to say sunbathing because I do like warmer weather. But you know, the uh, you know the the, the kind of the, the, the pale skin and such and that might suggest <laughs> other. To be honest with you, working for um, an Austrian company who's based in Tyrol, you think I should actually have had my fair share of skiing over the years, but um, when I've ever been to head office, it's only been about business. So I'm, I'm unfortunately I've never managed to get my teeth into the skiing side as much as I as I would like. I might enjoy it. I think I'll definitely love the um, the social side of it. My understanding is that people, a lot of people who go skiing, don't tend to do that much skiing. They just go to the bars up on the way up the mountain and uh, have a few. Uh, a few kind of snaps and stuff, but uh, no. Generally speaking, I think I'll be. Uh, I'm a. I'm a, a fair weather guy, so definitely with a hat on, with a hat on. In fact, <laughs> uh, hanky on, not tied on the corner. The whole, the whole shebang. Yeah, proper British tourist. Brilliant. Um, favorite drink, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Um, non-alcoholic. What would it be? Um, I'm a Coca-Cola guy. Nice and easy. Should be probably more Coca-Cola, but I'm Coca-Cola as my go-to. Um, Alcoholic would be, I would probably be, um, my go-to drink would be Morgan Spice and Coke. So it's Coke on both sides, but yes, Morgan Spice would be my uh, alcoholic drink. So not not a German beer like we get at the shores and all that type of... No, uh, I mean, I should say Egger beer, because of course, as a bit yes. of a small production uh, based in Austria. But um, what's sweet as far as Tom is um, that, that it's not available in the UK. So, you know, if I want to have a drink on a weekend, then I kind of just wait a year for an Egger beer or... <laughs> Um, it, it would be uh, that would be the easy choice, but um, no, I, th- I think from a personal point of view, I'm not a big kind of lager guy in that. And anyways, I'll have a pint, but I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a spirits guy. You you could start start a side hustle of Egger beer coming over on the trucks with all the uh, well, <laughs> nice I, I idea. Think, because I think I think over the years the amount of beer that I've given out because normally what we normally get at Christmas time, well we will have the shows as you know, and we get Egger beer across. We do try to give that to people as a nice gift or. Uh, for the events, we'll try to have a, an allocation of beer. And then also for Christmas, um, the staff get a slab or two because of like, we'll bring it over. But we're kind of really bringing it over in massive quantities because of like, you know, import reasons and, and, and tax and duty, I guess, is the, is the big topic. But I've always given my away because, like I say, I'm not normally a big lager drinker because the egg of beer is actually, um, uh, you know, produced. It doesn't have a lot of preservatives in it. It doesn't have a long shelf life. So you get the beer in, say, November, December time for your Christmas uh, uh, package, shall we say. But if you want to leave it till March, it'll normally be gone. Um, and, uh, yeah, so normally I would normally just, like, dish out a few bottles and stuff. So there's a lot of people have trialled egg of beer where you can't really buy it in the shops in the UK. And uh, people love it. So you're right. I think if they were to manage to get around that uh, import, and, and get some uh, get some some volume in. I think there'll be a lot of fans to well, buy. If you won ten million pounds on the lottery tonight, what would be the first five things you would do or buy? The first five things. Um, I think the, the I mean the first answer is you have to make sure that uh, you know your family and stuff's financially sound. I think that's the first thing. So people have got mortgages and all that kind of stuff, and that you'd want to you want to try and take uh, take care of that. Uh, that sounds pretty basic and stuff and that uh, I don't know I mean I'd probably one thing I'd probably do is I'd probably have to tell Eggers with me intention that I might not be here for a long time that has to be that has to be noted on there uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll work for of course Tom I'm not uh, you know, as, as a multi-millionaire and I, I think uh, I don't know if the guys above us would think that I'm I'm, I'm uh, I'd have me focus fully on the job as well if I'm going to Barbados to do meetings every uh, two weeks so that might not uh, work um, no, I think I'd, I think yeah. Thirdly, I guess after that, um, 
I've kind of always had uh, my dream car. One of my dream cars has always been a 911. I always like kind of love the idea of it. And I am a car guy, but I've never had a chance to to do that. And it, I have been asking, I've just asked this morning actually, but it's not going to end up on the company car policy that I get anytime soon as well. So I'd probably have to, uh, to pull the pin on one of them as well. Mm. And I think the basic stuff's like just holidays and stuff and that. Um, I don't think I'd stop, Tom, if I'm honest with you. I don't know if I have five answers for you, but... I don't think I'd stop. I wouldn't just be like, oh, I've won 10 million quid, so now I'm retired. I would yeah. love to continue. I, I, I think I'm one of these people where I think I get bored. You yeah. know what I mean? By the golf thing, I'm sometimes all right, sometimes I'm a little bit hit and miss. It's not for me full time. Um, I don't think I would want to sit on the beach all the time. I want to be busy. So I think it would just be focused around, you know, doing something which interests and interests us, but maybe, you know, having your own business or something like that. That would probably be something that would, uh, would be something that would set up, I guess. Yeah. Oh, obviously in flooring, distributing egg of flooring under uh, you. That may be a thing. Uh, yeah, 100%. I think, you know, I think I can certainly add some value. I'd just be a lot, uh, like I say, maybe to have uh, less pressures on against it on the background. But no, I think I would offer some value. And I, I like the idea of sales and stuff and, and kind of like going back to the, the first question, I guess, one of the big things for me is, um, is you know, is people. You know what I mean? So like, you know, whether that's in sales or in a development role within small businesses where I can add some value, I'd like to think that I can, without sounding like kind of cheesy or nothing, I'd like to think that some of the things that got us to where I am today would also, I could mentor some people who are starting off in business or might need a bit of sales support and, and do something along them lines. And I think to have that kind of financial uh, support would, uh, would would certainly allow you to do that as well. Um, there's a, lot of, a few charities that, for the fifth point, there's a few charities which are, Kind of local to where I grew up as well, which I think would benefit from a from a cash injection as well. So that would be something I love that as well. And cars. So you're a car guy. What's the dream car apart from the nine eleven? That's not going to happen on the company car register. Uh, I uh, well, it's a strange one this because I think you're asking because you know the answer as well. So this is the this is the crap. But uh, one of the dream cars I, 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 uh, is is I've always like from a young age I've always had this kind of um, there's two cars that I grew up like kind of really loving one was the uh, the Mustang Fastback from the early kind of six seventies uh, and um, the other one was a, a nine forty four Turbo Porsche yeah um, I had one of them I had it for eleven years I've just sold it last year because I needed a little bit of work and I wasn't really getting into it but I also managed to uh, to import an old Mustang a few years ago which I've been restoring over the last kind of few years and. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have it. It's a summer car. I'm scared to drive it now, Tom, because it's been painted. <laughs> but generally speaking, that's me. Uh, that's my dream car. So I do have. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have it, and uh, you know, I'm. Uh, it's, so it's. Does that look like the Eleanor off Gone in sixty seconds? Is that the right? Um, I'm not up on my Mustangs or like what is that the right car or something? Shape. Mine, the the Elena one's a little bit later, which they're a little bit more expensive because of the you know attachment to the movie. So people are uh, trying to. Uh, you know, I think the 69, 70 year uh, fastback, slightly different uh, front end. Uh, you'll also be familiar with the one on John Wick, the movies as well. Yeah. Well, mine's a 66. Uh, so it's still a fastback, desirable car in, in uh, you know, in uh, in basic kind of terms, but it's um, a little bit cheaper than the the, uh, than the the late 60s and early 70s ones because, uh, like I said, that Eleanor thing has made, made them a little bit hard to get a hold of. But uh, it is great. So it's. Yeah. It, like Eleanor, I guess, blind man, galloping horse, but... Uh, has he got I, stripes on? Has he got the black stripes on or no? Has black has? Has, uh, yeah, so... Yeah. So was it originally grey? You've imported... How, how do you go from not having one to then importing one and then painting it? How did that happen? Just out of interest. 
it was it was a strange thing because like um, I've always had a um, a bit of interest in like American stuff and that generally, and obviously I've had like Harley Davidson bikes and that. And that's been me kind of that was my starting point for like doing carbureted engines, I guess. And I'm not mechanically inclined by any shape or form, but I'm one of, I'm one of them guys who's just willing to have a go. Typical Jarrell lad, actually, Tom. That's that's yeah. the. <laughs> you, you've got to up there, I mean, you've got to have a go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Quite literally. So I just had a go and, you know, it started off with some bikes and tinkering and I built a chopper a few years ago, which I then sold. And I always had like a sidecar, which was something because I was just interested in it. And basically the opportunity come about in late 20, I want to say 2019, where there's, there's, there was this guy who was I'd been following for um, a number of years on YouTube and he sold really high-end Mustangs, like really concourse condition, uh, something which would would never be uh, something that I could afford or, or, or aspire to have. And he basically, um, on his YouTube video one day, he was talking about bringing in some projects. And I thought, oh, I'm going to look at his website. Just coincidentally, he'd had the first project Mustang that he'd had in something like eight years come into his shop. Yeah. And I rang up the next day and I'd done a deal on it. And I, I basically bought it blind. Um, because <laughs> Sounds really funny because, um, and you'll get listeners on the podcast who don't know you personally, but over time they'll listen to Tom and I'll go, oh, he's a nice guy and they'll feel like they've got a relationship with you, but they don't even know who you are. And similarly, with this guy, I'd watched his videos for 10 years and I kind of felt like I knew him, even though I didn't, so I trusted what he'd said on his listing. And basically the car come a few months later, I imported it myself, which was very kind enough to, to help us do that. And it came um, and it was exactly as was suggested. It was a very clean example. The paint was horrendous. It was a, it was need a lot of the TLC around like the aesthetic side of the car, but mechanically it was sound and it was basically um, it needed paint, body, and some internal um, kind of uh, modifications and stuff to get it back up to up to speed and roadworthiness and also looking nice. So I've had the pleasure of doing that for the last couple of couple of years, and it's been a like I say a bit of a, a labour of love, but it's completely different to what it was. It was a a factory. Well, I was like a limey kind of colour back in the day and it was it would be battle can Ed the fender was doing today and it was just a right clip, but now it's looking uh, a little bit more presentable. And have you had it out this summer or has it just been finished? Are you, or is it next year it's coming out for its proper Yeah, it came out um it came out in I guess March time is what I would say. It came back out of paint. It took two months to get the guy who was kind enough to do as I know and he was um he had the car for basically seven weeks, worked on it every day. So that shows the the idea of what needed doing to it. Wow. Uh, he he took care of that for us, and yeah, take it out on dry weather. Try to keep it. It sounds a little cheesy, but I'm I'm trying to. Uh, I see myself as more of a custodian of it, although I own the car because it's it's some just you know twice the age of me. So the idea is to not just you know thrash it and, and do anything bad with it. So uh, I look after it, and then yeah, it's weekend car. If anyone wants to have a look at it, of course I'm not precious over it. I let, let everyone jump in like kids and stuff like one of these car shows and just pop in it's one of them things but uh, I plan on keeping it I think, I think it's like everything it's the story I bought a Audi Coupe 91 two years 18 months ago uh, from a lad in Durham and um, I noticed it on Facebook Marketplace and I noticed the back end of the number plate and it's this like um, turquoise bluey green colour and I was like I remember that car. I mean, mum was the talk in Middlesbrough when we lived in Middlesbrough that she bought this Audi Coupe and everyone thought it was like, like a Lamborghini, you know, she was like this, you know, um, and, and it was a proper bit of kit when she bought it. It's only a two litre 16 valve. Anyway, she sold it. Um, I think after eight years, um, part exchange it to car garage in Middlesbrough. 
and someone from Durham bought it. And then it came up on Facebook as, uh, this is my dad's old car. He used it as a second car for 20 years. And I'm looking at it going, that's my mum's old car. Went up Durham and he had it up for sale. And it was, and my heart was telling me this and telling me that. And I said, look, if I tell you some information, would you sell it to me at the price I want? Because I don't think it's worth what you're asking is me, me commercial mind is. And he said, well, I want it to go at the right person. So I think he had it up for three grand. And I said, look, I think the car's worth 1200 quid. And I'm not, I'm saying that because it wants painting. It'd be three grand to paint it. And then it'll be a good car. And it turned out it was my mum's old car uh, with two owners, my mum and this this bloke's deceased estate. And now I currently have that in the back of my garage. Oh, and wow. that comes out to twice a year to go to the local car show with the kids. And uh, and that'll just stay as it is. It just, uh, just, it's like having a, a, a wine back in time of... Uh, all of them years he was just sitting and going to and from school. So it's, uh, I don't particularly think the car's amazing, but it's, you know, it's not a dream car, but it has sentimental value and it is the right car. And it's, it's got a hundred thousand miles on it. So it's not a bad little Audi Coupe. So when, when people are like, when you get car guys and that, people or girls, whatever the case may be, if people are like, you know, really interested in that, I think from a, a, an external kind of point of view, people who don't like cars, they don't quite understand sometimes the emotional attachment, like someone that can have with a car. It makes you sound a little bad when you when you talk about it because uh but I've got some kind of stories as well on some of my dad's old cars and that and I think oh like when they've been sold and stuff and that like back in the day and you think oh was that that they never went and like uh, you know what I mean and, and if you get something and you've you know and there's an attachment to it I'm hoping that uh you know the Mustang similarly to your uh your mom's Audi would will, will create similar memories as well for my kids and stuff. So it's uh, uh it's it's nice mate. I like it. It's it's uh- nice to have I'd love to teach my kids to drive in it. I mean, it's a very expensive thing just to have sat there waiting for them both to turn 17. But I think that'd be a great achievement for them to uh, certainly do some lessons in it. I think, you know, because it'll be 35, 36 year old once one of them 17 and then probably 40 year old once the other one's uh, So that'll be a couple of learner plates on it. It'll be worth keeping. So Tom, has that not been painted yet? No, it doesn't mean painted. No. Unpainted right now, then if they learn how to drive and didn't get any bumps, then, uh, then it's nothing. nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know it's uh, it's another one, like, like as you said, it needs doing properly. It's not bad, it just wants doing properly. So it's currently sat there under a sheet and it looks fine as it is, but you know, you know, when you look at these things, it's not uh, not just right. But anyway, so back to business, Craig. Yeah. Um, if anyone's interested in Egger, the products, you. Mustangs or anything, what is the best way of reaching out to you? So don't email us about Mustangs because I know I love to talk about it. I think, you know, I have to times <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, you know, the me, me bosses in, in Germany and that will not be too pleased if I'm just talking about cars. Saying that actually, my boss is actually a car guy as well, so he probably wouldn't mind it anyways. But yeah, again, uh, we should be talking shop and then we can, when we've done a little bit of shop talk, we're going to talk about some flooring as well in between that as well. Yeah. But yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So, of course, Craig James uh, and Egger um, so certainly connect with us. Um, and, of course, my team as well. As the, the, you know, the, the team are always available and very happy to speak about uh, product and, of course, point-of-sale requirements through distribution and such. So we can really help with that. Um, I'm very happy to pass my email address on anybody. It's, it's craig.james at egger.com. So for the benefit of the podcast, anyone who wants to you know talk about Egger or, or be directed on any of the Egger product, even if it's not flooring, if they find themselves in a you know a quandary for something else, I'll certainly point them in the right direction. So that's uh, that's that's a good route. And yeah, of course, you know, 
I'm sure you're going to share the links on the podcast. And, um, and- Fab, well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Craig. I've enjoyed this one. class. I really appreciate you having us on. Uh, like I say, I'm, uh, hopefully it was good listening for people. We'll, uh, we'll certainly find out. I hope so. <laughs> it might be the first complaints we've had because we were too much uh, yeah. about cars, not about flying, but anyway. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerellandco.co.uk. That's Cockrell and co.co.uk we also have an instagram account which is cockerel and co and also we are on facebook once again don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you here again soon